Welcome to More Mercy. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and today I am joined by Rochelle Starr, the founder and president of Scarlet Hope and also the author of Outrageous Obedience, Answering God's Call to Shine in the Darkest Places. Rochelle, thank you for joining me on More Mercy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And so earlier, we discussed what you've learned about yourself in leadership and the need for resilience, the need for caring for yourself. But, you know, in this bonus podcast, I want to tell people a little bit about how I got to know you. I remember I made a friend. We worked in a corporate office space together, and I'd gone to move to West Virginia where I was a campus pastor, and I'll, I'll never forget her calling me. She said, hey, I started to volunteer with this organization that works with commercially sexually exploited women in strip clubs. What do you think? And I was like, well, what will you be doing? And she was like, well, we'll be bringing in food and really getting to know them. And I said this, they don't need your food. They make tons of money. Let's just say my eyes were not opened to the problem of commercial sexual exploitation at that time at all. And I'll never forget Maybe a year later, God broke my heart for human trafficking, just showed me how it's our sexual brokenness that can open the door for the exploitation of others. And you don't have to patronize those in prostitution for that. You can watch online pornography and you are contributing to the world that you want to live in, in a sense. You're basically casting a vote and you're investing in darkness in that way. And so when God broke my heart and I realized our private sins have public ramifications, it shifted everything. And I felt called to fight human trafficking. And, and I, was a, I was a preacher boy, you know, I was a pastor. I hadn't done anything super crazy, but I had realized that I wanted to do something for good and I wanted to see my neighbor as my neighbor. And so I remember when you and I got our first opportunity to sit down at a coffee shop in Louisville, Kentucky, that used to be called Java. I think it's now called Vent. Is Vent still there? Is that a thing? Yeah, it is still here. And so we sat down and the first thing I said to you was, I'm sorry, can we talk about this? And I don't think you were probably like, what's he about to say? What's going on? What? And I was just like, yeah, so I said something that was just very ignorant and I want you to hear it from me. And you have been on the forefront in this movement for years, engaging churches, engaging Christians, trying to get them to go and bring God's light to the darkest places, oftentimes in strip clubs. And your organization, Scarlet Hope, has created several other avenues over the years whereby you are empowering vulnerable women to ultimately seize what God has for them. But tell me, how has it been as you've been engaging churches on this issue? What are some things that you've learned? In the beginning, so in 2007, when the Lord first called me to this, I... Actually, let's back up a minute. I'm a pastor's kid. My husband's father was a pastor. My husband, when the Lord called me to this ministry, was on staff at a church. So lots of church dynamics in my life, lots of church history, background, all of that. And all of a sudden, here I am telling people I'm going to the strip clubs to share the help and love of Jesus with women in the sex industry. And every single person around me was like, you're doing what? Except for my husband and my best friend. Uh, we're like, what? Why would you do that? And the church dynamic now compared to 15 years ago has drastically changed. And, and there's a couple of 
what I think there's a couple of reasons why. In our ministry, one of the things that has been amazing is to engage the church to bring the gospel out of the pews, out of the walls of the church into the darkness, because that's what Jesus has called us to do. And a lot of Christians 15 years ago didn't think that that was necessary. I had a woman say to me and a other pastors say, well, there's a sign outside of our church. If they want to come, they can. How is that the example that Jesus has set for us in to go and make disciples of all nations, right? As I hear you share that, the thought that keeps coming to my mind is, how have people in the church responded to that? Have you ever had anyone say something to the effect of, well, well, Jesus wouldn't go into a strip club? And you're like, well, actually... How have people responded as you've had this genuine, passionate ministry that may be outside the lines of some? Oh, my goodness. I mean, through the years, I've had all sorts of comments about you're going to become like them if you go into those places. The darkness is going to overcome and take you, you know, and things like that. I've also gotten so many judgments from the church. Like I was in the industry. There's something I had to have been involved in this in order to do something like this. In the church now, though, through the years, something that I'm equally passionate about as going into the darkness and sharing the gospel, I'm equally passionate about the church understanding that as believers, our mission is to share the good news no matter where that is. No matter if it's in a strip club, on the streets, in India, Thailand, wherever God calls you, we are as believers to be obedient to where he's calling us to go. And he is calling us to go. Okay. (laughs) In your book, Outrageous Obedience, you talk about the fact that God is calling us to go. You talk about how he is calling us to this outrageous obedience, but it's not to get him to love us. It's actually a response to the love he already has for us. It's not for anything we do. It's what it's because of what was already done. And so now we can be wild. We can dream. We can hope. We can take steps and risk things that we never would have risked before. We can ultimately trust God with our protection and then focus on the protection of our neighbor. It kind of hit me when I was reading your book last night. You talk about comfort versus discomfort. And in the church, many of us, we want to be comfortable. We want to be around people that look like us, talk like us, have the same experiences. Life is hard enough. We don't want to be pushed outside of that comfort zone. But how would you encourage people to kind of take that step in outrageous obedience? One of my most common questions that I get is, how did I, number one, hear God's calling? And then two, what did you do after that? This is how God worked in my own story. I also see this in a lot of stories that I hear, but God didn't give me all the pieces of the puzzle, Raleigh. He he gave me one thing at a time. It looked like this, and hopefully this will be encouraging for people. Rochelle, I'm sending you to that place, which was a theater X, to share my hope and love. Okay, when, where, what are we going to do? And so we prayed and we fasted, and then he gave us the next step. And then he gave us the next step. He did not give me all of the puzzle pieces. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have done what I've (laughs) done, right? Right. Just for people to take that first step in prayer, fasting, and listening to the Holy Spirit. And little by little, your faith will grow from a mustard seed to move mountains. 
You'd mentioned Theater X, and Theater X is very prominent in your story, but it's also prominent in your book. And one of the things I've noticed about your book is you really can paint a picture with words. You'll describe and modify all these words to where rather than saying, yeah, we went in, the sign was weird, and then we walked in, you paint a picture to the point where you almost feel like you're there. I almost feel like I'm sitting in the car with your husband as you and your friend are in the first night in Theater X. Tell us a little bit about Theater X, because no one was doing ministry, at least it wasn't very popular in evangelical circles at that time. No one was really doing ministry like this. And so tell us a little bit of the background of Theater X and how God brought you in for that first step. Absolutely. So in 2007, Louisville was the fifth largest sex industry per capita in America with 27 strip clubs in the in a city that only has about a million people in it. So it's a pretty big industry here in Louisville. Theater X and the first strip club we ever went into had never, ever had Christians come inside the building to do anything good, okay? And so what I had come to learn about what Christians had done to the industry was actually protest them. There was a huge Christian organization actually raising money to shut these places down. And don't get me wrong, there is a time and a place for all of these things. But what I kept being concerned with is if the buildings close and the people inside did not know Christ, what, what then? What, you know what? So Theater X, the first strip club we ever went into, the second we walked inside, you know, it's the darkest place I'd ever been in my life, at loud music, all of those things. And when we went and asked the owner if we could bring in a home-cooked meal, he immediately was like, what's the catch? And all I could say to him was, there is no catch. Jesus sent us here to do something kind and loving for the people in this place. And he was like, what? And I remember a story about six months after we had started going in where he said to me, I've never seen anything like this. And you're telling me you serve God? And he said, if that's the case, I want to, I want to know God too. And it was just such a dark place that for decades and decades, they had never seen a light. And finally, God called his people in there. What what a testimony. You know, someone is actually, there's both sides are being worked, right? Like you have Christians going into this dark place, seeing what the reality of the world is. But then you also have these people who are not believers. Some of them are, and you will find that out if you read her book. But these people who may have only seen the judgmental side, or as Henry Cloud calls it, he says, there's grace and truth. And some churches will focus more on truth, this idea of judgment, and some will focus only on grace where there's no truth. It's just like everyone's great, but for it to be healthy, there needs to be kind of grace and truth or law and gospel. And he's seeing that in you but you are coming to them. And I think that's such a picture of what we see Jesus and the disciples doing throughout Scripture. They're going to those who are most vulnerable, those who are living in social stigmas, those who are kind of being judged by the religious elite. And so to do this ministry, I believe that you have your finger on the pulse of what God is doing in the world, but you will always bounce up against people who are steeped in pharisaical thought, people who are legalists, people who are focused more on their protection than the protection of others. And so 
What would you say to someone who's like, man, like the work of Scarlet Hope, that's incredible. That's exciting. But I couldn't do that. I, I could never I could never go into a strip club. And what would you say to and and you do have you do have a model where the men are in their cars in the parking lot, the women go in, they're building relationships with the women who are working in there. And so you have things that are set in place, but you learned those things by doing. You're like, okay, this works, that doesn't work. So what would you say to those people who are like, I, I mean, it sounds amazing, but but I could never do that. Two things come to my mind. One is I have a philosophy, come and see. Like that's how the church in my world, in my church world, that's how the churches went from what is this crazy chick doing in strip clubs, going and serving meals? What is she doing to How do we join her? And it was come and see what God is doing, right? That really helped change things for for at least in our ministry and in this setting. If somebody were to say to me, I can't do that, that's amazing, which actually a lot of people do say that. I'll go speak somewhere. They'll say, Rochelle, what you're doing is so amazing. I could never do that. But you know what? I could never do that either unless it was for the Lord. Right. When he calls us, he equips us. But the most beautiful thing about the Great Commission is at the end of it, he says, and I will be with you. He will be with us no matter what. And I can tell you, I've seen God show up in a strip club more than I've seen him in a pew at a church sitting there my entire life. And I've seen miracles of God in the streets and in brothels and in strip clubs more than I've seen in a church building. And that is not to rag on the church because I'm, I've just told you guys, I'm a pastor's kid. I love the church, but we have to believe in a God that can do the impossible through us and in us. Amen. That's why I feel like we're at church, Raleigh. Oh man, <laughs> light shines brightest in the darkest places. When you say something to the effect of you have seen God's presence and his work more clearly in a strip club, talking to people who are exploiters and those who are exploited, than you have in churches where all the quote, end quote, good people are, the people who quote, end quote, have it all together. Here's the thing. I believe that God motivates vulnerable people like you and me to love other vulnerable people by becoming vulnerable for us. I think when, when we kind of allow ourselves to go into those dark places, we see, okay, their vulnerabilities may be different, but they have them just like me. And so there's a bridge between us. We may not have anything else in common, but we are people in need of love. We are people in need of a savior. And what I love, and I've always loved this about you and your ministry, and I believe your ministry is like this, Rochelle, because you have brought this into the DNA of Scarlet Hope. You are so about bringing people along, inviting people into what God is already doing. In your book, you quote Henry Blackaby a few times. And, you know, his his thing was, you know, if you want to find the will of God, find out where God is at work and join him there. And what we've learned is that God is always at work in the lives of those most vulnerable. So if you show up there, you're going to see God working like you've never seen him before. And it might be different than your Sunday school class, where you're just spouting off Jesus to every question. It might be different than sitting in the pew. That doesn't mean that those aren't great places to be. But when you're in that dark place, man, 
And so I've always appreciated that about you because, you know, we both lead different nonprofits. And I I said to you the first time we met, I was like, yeah, I feel like people are trying to pit me against you. And you're like, well, that's that's not right. That's dumb. We can do this together. And I'm like, and I've always felt that. I've never felt like that was just something you said. And so I've always seen you as someone who, if I'm like, man, I have no idea what to do. I'm going to reach out to Rochelle. Help. <laughs> help me. Help me process this, Rochelle. And and so, but it's it's so clear in how you operate that you could be, there are many a nonprofit that is like, I can, we can do the work, but you're going to churches, even though it's hard and you're saying, yeah, but I want you to experience what God has for you and you could join in. And I believe you've had pastor's wives join you. You've had elderly church ladies. You've had younger people. You've had the whole gamut of people come into these clubs. And what are some of the experiences that they had when they went in? Like, how did they change by being present in that moment? Yeah, the mo- the majority of people that come and serve with us, and, and this includes myself, we are changed far more than than other people's lives are changed. And it's because we're coming into contact with the very presence of God in the darkest places, and we're watching God redeem lives. There is one of my favorite stories. She was in her upper 70s, close to 80, serving with us weekly, serving meals and clubs. And all of the women had that had been missing mother figures and grandmother figures just flocked to this woman. And I remember thinking, Corey Tim Boom is one of my favorite, just godly heroes of the faith. And I remember thinking about this woman on our team. Man, I want to be like her, like all the way until my dying breath, I want to serve the Lord. And women, she just had a natural, well, this is what I'll say. She was available to the Lord to be used by God. And she was available to people to to be comforted by them and cared by them. And so I have just seen our ministry has so many volunteers, all different ages and backgrounds and all sorts of things. But the common theme among all of our volunteers is when you start working on the front lines of ministry with the Lord, Number one, you kind of never want to stop. And then number two is it changes you. It changes who you are for the better, hopefully. (laughs) And for any of you who are listening and you're thinking, but how do I start? How do I find what God is calling me to do? I would say start with who's around you. You know, meet the needs around you and see where that leads. Find an organization like Scarlet Hope and tap into what they're doing. We haven't gone into detail about the growth of Scarlet Hope, but can you tell us kind of where Scarlet Hope is and in what cities and what you're doing now? Oh my goodness. It is just, God is so faithful, so good. We're planting our 10th city. So God has expanded Scarlet Hope's ministry. So we do outreaches as we've been talking about. We also have a discipleship program for women. And then we also have a gospel-centered trauma-informed career development placement program. And it's been incredible. So those are our three programs that consist of our model. And we are in 10 locations reaching women in some of the highest exploitive cities in, in America. So right now we're in Louisville, Kentucky as our headquarters still. And the Nashville, Miami, Florida, Orlando... That's incredible. You are in these amazing places. You are doing incredible work. Rochelle, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. 
As always, thank you for listening to More Mercy. We're glad you're here. If you've joined the paid partnership, take a moment and look at the resources. One of my favorites is the Let My People Go Handbook video curriculum. This companion guide trains you to better recognize and respond to your most vulnerable neighbors, walking you through the Let My People Go Handbook, which is also available on Amazon and for free as a downloadable ebook on lmpg.org. Till next time, regardless of where you are, know that there is always more mercy.